You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. What's up, everybody? All right, here we go. It's uh, Happy Thanksgiving. All right, no one excited. I see you're, you're as excited about Thanksgiving as I am. Not uh, amongst my most favorite of holidays, uh, but uh, glad to have spent a time at least being able to dwell on the things that we're thankful for. That's great, and I hope you uh, got to enjoy lots of turkey and stuffing and canned cranberry sauce. Uh, and if you're like me and all those things are basically your least favorite things in the world with the exception of canned cranberry sauce, um, I hope you got to enjoy a different type of food and hopefully just enjoy time with your family, uh, enjoy time with friends, enjoy time uh, just, again, being able to think about what it is that you're thankful for and to be able to thank God for those things. I don't know uh, what the over-under is um, uh, on me knocking over this candle, uh, but I'm assuming if you're betting that I'm going to knock it over, you could potentially lose money because the likelihood is that I will, I will knock it over today. I'm a little nervous about it. So if you see me talking with my hands a little much, look at me and be like, you know, <laughs> give, me a little, give me a little shout out to keep my hands to myself. Um, as, uh, as singer Andy Williams put it, uh, it's the holiday season and uh, we can feel that, right? We have a lot of people out of town. Uh, be mindful of those people that are out of town right now that are traveling. Got a lot of people that are out just visiting home, that type of thing. Uh, and so be mindful of those people. Pray for those people. Uh, you know, airports are pretty crazy. If you went to the Austin airport this week, they recommended that you get there three hours prior uh, to you leaving. Uh, traffic is wild. My wife was uh, trying to go to Buda yesterday at about 4 o'clock. Uh, and we live off of slaughter. You know, Buda and Slaughter are like 10, 15 minutes away from each other. And she got to the traffic on 35 and was like, I'm coming back home. Yeah, so, uh, so you know, that's what everybody that's traveling right now, that's what they're going through. And so say a quick prayer for safety, but also just for like mental health uh, and all that good stuff. And so, um, and like the holiday season starting, you know, we got uh, Thanksgiving. And then right after that, everybody put up their Christmas uh, you know, decorations, I'm sure a lot of y'all put up your Christmas stuff so far. And so, uh, you know, thank God for Christmas stuff. But as the holiday season starts, we're also going to go ahead and start our new sermon series uh, entitled Advent. That's a bit misleading, though, uh, if I must say so myself, because we're not starting a sermon series called Advent. It's not like we're taking time out of our uh, busy schedule as a church to, to, to partake in something called Advent. We're really just joining in the historic church calendar in preparation for Christmas. That's what the Advent season has historically been. The church together uh, really historically has come together during uh, the, the, the about roughly four weeks prior to Christmas uh, just to say, Lord, prepare our hearts for this. Prepare our hearts um, to celebrate your first coming. Uh, to celebrate the fact that while we were dead in sin and we were in desperate need of a Savior, you came into the world uh, to provide that Savior and to redeem and to rescue us, Father. Thank you. Uh, and so it's a time of, uh, where we begin to ponder and consider the joys of Christ's first coming, uh, a.k.a. Christmas, right? Yet we also deeply consider the hope we have in his second coming. It's not just about celebrating his first coming. It's also about deeply considering his second coming, because if we're leveling 
right, the, the true doctrines of Christianity. It's the hope of Jesus' return that brings Christians hope. It, I, want, I want you to hear that again because I want you to grasp that. It's the promise of Jesus' return that brings Christians hope. We tap into that hope in our salvation, right? We believe in Jesus, right, and, and, and we uh, receive the, the, the good news and we're transformed and all that good stuff. We, we get a taste of that hope, but, but that new life that we receive in salvation, it's merely like a seal for the new life that he promises to fulfill and satisfy for all of eternity when he returns, uh, you think of a text like 2 Corinthians 1.22 that says he has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. A down payment of what? That he's going to return and that he's going to make things right and that he's, we're going to resurrect, that there's life, not just life beyond this in a spiritual or ethereal sense, like we're going to go somewhere and we're all going to be glowing, but, but that what we see here in creation, right, is this is going to be made new. This is going to be restored. So he puts a seal and says, this is a down payment. I'm going to, I'm going to cash this in full when I return, right? Or perhaps like Philippians 1, 6, this is a verse that a lot of us know. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out uh, to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that even who we are right now, the people we hope to be, that, that God has started working on in us, uh, that those people are not finished products, but that Jesus has promised to complete the work that we have experienced in our lives in his return. Right. And so our hope, even as Christians, is not merely in, in getting saved, is not merely in going to heaven. It's not in those things predominantly. As Christians, the primary source of our hope is that we have a savior who's alive and in his life, in his, his aliveness right now is promised to return and to make things right. It's the hope we have when we see the injustices in the world and go, that's going to change one day. Why? Because the world is magically going to get better? No, because Jesus will make it right in his return. So we truly experience the hope uh, of Jesus as he changes our heart and, and as he makes us new internally and, and as, as the new desires that we have, the new family, the new hope that we're given, the new purpose that we're given, we, we receive all that. In salvation, I'm not saying there's, that salvation is a small thing. It's a powerful thing. But uh, we are still waiting on the fulfillment of all that in Christ's return. And so we're, we're called to consider that deeply as we remember the great life and death and, and the resurrection of Jesus that changes our hearts. But, but while we still wait on our blessed hope, that is the return of Jesus, where the world will finally and eternally, permanently be made right. Right? That's the hope we cling to. That's the hope we, we actually cling to. And it's a powerful truth. We live in uh, what theologians call the already but not yet. Right? The fact that we know the feeling of hope. We know what it is to be changed. We know what it is to see the power of God at work in our hearts. When, when I was 19 years old, I was involved in drugs, all kinds of stuff. The Lord changed my heart and I was different within like 40 minutes. Right? That's a powerful reality where my heart was changed. Something inside of me was different. And I knew this is the thing I'm going to dedicate myself to for the rest of my life. But now I still wait in anticipation that the, the things that are still going on in my heart, what, what I can see and feel in my flesh that still tempts me and leads me into sin and still hurts other people, that, that I can still see, man, there's something not quite right in me. 
right, that he's going to finish that work in his return, right, the great hope of his second coming. But how do we live in that? How do we live in that already but not yet? What do we do? Are we just simply waiting for Jesus? Are we just twiddling our spiritual thumbs, right, until he arrives? No, I, I want to emphatically tell you no. That has been one of the issues historically, if I'm, if I'm just going to speak blatantly, that's one of the issues historically with Western American Christianity. Sometimes that has been the notion, right? Like, man, you, you, you receive the good news, you get the promise that you're going to heaven, and then from there it's just a waiting game until you die. Because then I get to go to heaven. And then everything is right when, when really our home for eternity is not heaven. Our home for eternity is earth. But a renewed, made new, whole earth that Jesus restores completely, right? And so we're not called to twiddle our thumbs and just wait for Jesus. We're, we're called to love the earth and to care for the earth, right? This, that's what this series is, is about, that in-between time and, and how we live in that in-between time. It's about remembering the blessed life and work of Jesus again uh, in his first coming, in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, but it is also about reflecting on why uh, why he came and how we're to live in response to what he's done as we wait for his second coming. Now, today, again, we're going to start with some basics. So we're not jumping into the very, like we're going to have a few weeks to talk about this. So it's all right if we don't cover everything today. But today we want to get to some basics, right? If we aren't just supposed to, this is, feels good, y'all. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of room to walk around. So I'm definitely going to walk around. Um, if we're not supposed to just twiddle our thumbs, what are we supposed to do? And to, we're going to cover that through the next few weeks. But the thing is, today we're going to start with some basics, some basics that we need in order to really serve and to live that out. If we're called to live and respond to Jesus coming in a specific way, and it's not just sitting around being like, yeah, I think, you know, we're having a good day. We come to church, we go to work, we kind of hang out, we say our prayers, we go to group. But, but there's something powerful to it. There's something more to it. There's some basics we have to understand that establish like a baseline that we're going to build from. And that's really the point. If that's where we want to go, if that's what we want to do, right, if we want to wait well, if we want to serve well, if we want to live out the calling that God has given us during this period where we're waiting, there's some basics that we have to get uh, right. And so to accomplish this today, to get through some of these basics, we're going to be working through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first nine verses. And there's three basics that we're really going to be covering here. The first is the story. We got to realize that there's a story. The second is the people. We have to realize there's, there's a certain people that are involved in this story. And then, and then the gifts, the gifts that those people have. And so we're going to be working through these three basics, right? The story, the people, and the gifts. We're going to be working through that to see, hey, what does it mean? What does it look like to wait well? And, and what are some of the basics, again, we have to understand in order to wait well, in order to serve while we're waiting, in order to honor God while we're waiting? So let's go ahead and dive in. Again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. I'm going to go ahead and read that um, again just to get us reoriented with it. It says, Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of our, uh, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of 
our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You are called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, uh, before we jump in here and take a look at these three kind of like basics that, that I'm saying we're going to lay out, we have to understand a bit of the background behind the text. So that'll help us out as we're moving forward. Most of you guys, I want to say know this, but for any of us that don't, right? Corinthians was a letter written by Paul to uh, a church of people in the city of Corinth. Okay, now, to put it simply, there were some issues, all right, in Corinth. All right, big trouble, little Corinth. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were some issues present. Lots of issues. In fact, if you continue to work through the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, it gets real dicey. It gets like, man, this is, this is crazy. It's one of them deals where, like, if you were going to plan a soap opera after the Bible, this is one of the, this is one of the books you'd be like, that's, that's fodder for my, my script right there. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so there's a lot going on here, a, a, a lot of issues. Uh, but before he gets on to that, and, and Paul's going to get to that, like I said, this is one of the longer letters that Paul writes, and he's going to get to all of that stuff. And then there's another letter on top of this one, uh, sent after this one, that he's going to work out even more issues that are present in the church. He's going to get to all that. But right now, from where we're reading today, Paul is just introducing himself, right? He's, he's kind of introducing himself in the letter. They know him, but, but he's kind of like letting them know, I'm writing this to you. He's sharing his heart. He's letting them know that he loves them. He says, man, like, uh, it's right for me to feel this way. I, I mean, uh, I'm thinking about you. I, I care about you. And while he's sharing his heart, he shares a handful of things that are important to us as believers uh, to be considerate of, again, the basics that I, I kind of want to lay out for us. The first and thing that we should really pull, even just looking at these nine verses all together, is that, the, is that there's a story. Sorry, that there's a story to, at, at work here. Right. The, the majority of the Corinthian church came from a pagan background. Now, now, what does that mean? Pagan is in like they worship the devil. No, pagan as in like they just worshiped other, you know, quote unquote gods, little G gods. The majority of the Corinthian church was not Hebrew. They didn't have this background of reading the Bible stories, of, of, of partaking in the rituals. They came from a, a worldly pagan background. They didn't know about the Judeo-Christian God. They weren't Jews. They hadn't shared in, in stories of Abraham and Isaac, the stories that shape really a larger story in our mind. Right. The, the, they, they didn't really have that. They just existed. They existed in this in this world where the concept of time, time moving forward, time not really having any purpose. They hadn't, it wasn't moving anywhere. The, the, the time going somewhere, having a purpose, moving us to a specific destination, that wasn't a concept that really entered their minds prior to Jesus. Prior to Jesus, they perceived the world as a place where, where gods, little g gods, the, 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 the pantheon of gods had, had their own lives. And those lives were eternal, but, but those lives were kind of a lot like human lives. They were often filled with very like stories of very real human strife, the things we would go through, right? Like people people hating each other and angry at each other and retaliating to each other. And if it was a bad day and they were retaliating a God on a, on a day where you just happen to be in the way of the retaliation, then you were kind of just collateral damage in that instance. And, and that's how you really went through life. It was just kind of this blur of, of existence. But that's also why there were so many tales of glory in antiquity during this time, because what else was there to live for? What else was there to live for besides getting your name etched in, in all time by someone that could tell a story of what you did? Because if it wasn't for that, what else was there? There was nothing. 
And Paul understands that this is the world they've come from. And so reorienting uh, themselves into this new way of seeing the world may be a challenge. But, but he also knows that they can't stay living like that. They can't continue to perceive the world like that. Paul wants them to see that there's not just this, this uh, dullness to life where fame and glory is the only thing available and that where we're at the mercy of, of some gods that just happen to be going through the exact same things we're going through, but rather, right, something is happening in the world, right? Something's happening. This isn't, this isn't a pointless melodrama that we're going through. There, there's something going on in the world right now. I, I feel like we can relate to this in some way. We should be able to relate to this in some way. Because the reality is oftentimes, even though we are followers of Jesus, I would say the majority of us in here, we still sometimes can operate on this basis where we don't see a grander story at work. We see our story at work, right? We see the story of our lives at work. People tell us as Americans that we can be anything we want to be, that, that we can pursue our own happiness and pursue our own joy. And so we, we begin to develop these stories of where we want to go and what would satisfy and what would fulfill us. And so we begin to pursue that story the same way these individuals in Corinth and, and really across the Roman and Greek empires saw their stories as hopefully gaining some type of fame or glory because that's what would satisfy them. We live in the same manipulated sense of reality except for exchange glory with comfort in America. And that's our goal. That's our story. And here comes Paul saying, no, that's not the story. There's a bigger story than that. There's a greater story than that. A story that's focused on seeing people saved and made new and this world we're living in being made new. Do we understand that? Are we grasping that? Is, is, is that how we perceive our lives? Let me ask you a question. And it's not to you. It's to me as well. It's to all of us. How do we live that reflects that greater story? Can I ask you just that question? How do we live that reflects that there's a greater story at work of redemption and restoration and salvation? A greater story where God desires to intersect people's stories that are pursuing things maybe like comfort or maybe like fame and glory or maybe anything else. Interject your definition of what will satisfy, right? But, but that people are living that life and God desires to intersect their story with his grand story of saving and redeeming the world. That there was a world that he made to be perfect and enjoyed perfectly alongside of him. But that was, that was lost in sin. And, and, and then when we were separated from God, that it was lost to us. And now God is in the process of making that new, of restoring that relationship, of bringing wholeness in ways that we can't fathom and we can't understand. Because oftentimes we thought wholeness came uh, through comfort or through these other things. And God is bringing us back to himself in order to provide what our hearts so desperately need, that that's the story going on in the world right now. How many of us live, or in what ways do we live that reflects that story? In what ways do we live that reflects that greater story? Or is it that the way we live really reflects the smaller story? The little things that will produce moments, moments of satisfaction, but then are really gone like that. Right, which one do we spend most of our time living for? The smaller story or the greater story? I'm going to level with you in some ways, and I want to speak this humbly, meaning I want to be sensitive, but I also want you to, to hear what I'm saying. Many of us see Jesus as entering into our personal stories to help us accomplish our goals. And that's true in some ways. Hear me. I'm not saying that's completely void of truth. There are things that you enjoy, things that you aspire to, 
And I believe he's gifted you in ways to accomplish those things. Some of them at bare minimum. But hear me, even more so, the reality of the gospel is not just him bringing himself into our smaller stories, but him inviting us into partaking in his grander and bigger story. A story in which the deepest longings of our hearts are met by him, not by the circumstances we live in. And the way we long to see the world, and when we're disappointed that the world's not like that. We now have hope that it will be as we hoped. But that hope isn't in ourselves. That hope isn't in our comfort or it isn't in our homes. It isn't in even our families or anything else. That comfort, it's in Jesus. It's his story. He's the main one that the story is working around. He's the protagonist, saving and redeeming and rescuing and making whole It's him. You know, think of your favorite protagonist story. Insert your favorite Harry Potter, right? I don't... The Baggins dudes from Lord of the Rings, right? Insert your favorite protagonist, the ones that make things right. Let me, I want to level with you. You are not that person in this story, but that's a good thing. Because the one who is the protagonist perfectly understands you and the situation and is perfectly and wholly equipped to rescue and redeem and to finish the story and say, it's finished. That's, he's Jesus. He's the protagonist. He's the hero. He's the one that's making it right. It's his story. That's the point of Christmas, right? That there is this rescue mission for humanity and creation unfolding before the world in this little baby. That's the point of Christmas. Right? Think about that. When I put up the tree and wrap the gifts and sing the songs and be merry and drink hot chocolate or whatever it is that you do, the point that we're celebrating is not just that, oh yeah, like Jesus was born and that's a good thing. It's that the plan of God the story of God to rescue the creation that he loves so much was born and present in this little baby in a manger. That's the story. That's what we celebrate. That the story began its climax as that baby entered into the world because the rescue mission finally had its rescuer. And he was right there, present. That's the grandest story. What good news that since the fall of humanity, time has been slowly moving toward a story. And it's not a story of destruction. It's not a story of disappointment. We experience those things along the story, sure. But it's the, the main point of the story is that it's a story of love. It's a story of a loving God rescuing his creation. Right? That's the story. It's about him. It's about him adopting us into a family that he's building across the world in order to continue the mission of making this this creation right, this creation beautiful. What good news that we're a part of a grander story. But we have to know that while we're waiting. Because if we're waiting and we think that the only thing that we have to be concerned about is our smaller story. And I'm not saying smaller story pejoratively as if your emotions and your story don't matter. God intersects our story so that he can 
so that he can speak to us, but oftentimes so he can heal us and so that he can work in us. But oftentimes that process involves turning our attention to a grander story instead of just our own. And so in order for us to begin waiting well, we have to understand that and there's a grander story at work. There's a bigger story at work. It's, it's more than just our story. If, if all I'm focused on is my story, if all I'm focused on is the things that I think will bring me some sort of satisfaction, then I will continue falling into a place where I'm missing something and going, what is it that I'm missing? And what I don't realize is my heart may have everything that my, my mind and my flesh tell it will satisfy it. But in the end, I'm still in need of a bigger story. I'm still in need of that bigger story. So we have to understand there's a bigger story at work. But, but, but the, the, character that the, the character that the protagonist, the hero, is saving is also important in that story. And that is where we enter into the picture. Because there's a story, and it's the story, but there's also a people, right? One of the basics we need to understand is the people. Uh, take a look at verse 2 in 1 Corinthians 1-2. It says, the, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, Right? That word uh, means to make holy. It's like, bro, you just you gave me one word that I didn't really know and gave me another word that I didn't really know. Right? That word makes holy in a literal sense means to set apart, to set aside. The idea of Sunday best, right? You, you ever heard that, that expression? You put on your Sunday best. We don't do the Sunday best at our church, right, all the time, I'll say. Um, I do not have many suits or that type of thing. I'm more of a, a Jordans guy. I quite literally could not find a jacket today as I was on my way out. I was running a little bit late. And so I put on a hoodie and a jersey on top of it. And I'm preaching in that now. Uh, and so, right, we don't, we don't really have too much uh, interaction with this idea. But it doesn't mean that we don't probably still have this idea at work in our lives somewhere, right? I don't have many suits. Again, I'm more of a Jordans cap. But I, I do have some suits. I have two. And one of them is a little bit nicer than the other. And I'll be honest, I saved that suit for like the nicest of occasions. I'm talking weddings, celebrations, uh, an anniversary every once in a while. If we're going to celebrate outside of Austin, I remember we were trying to celebrate our anniversary, me and my wife, Rachel, trying to celebrate our anniversary one time uh, in Austin. And we went to a nice restaurant. She was like, should you dress better? And I was like, babe, no one's going to be dressed up there. We went there. We paid all this money for uh, this meal just to eat next to a guy in flip-flops, all right? So, <laughs> so this is the world, this is the city we live in, so we're not really, even as a city, not just as a church, but as a city, not to connect to this idea, but, but I do have a suit, and I save it for those very nice occasions, because there are occasions that even say, hey, man, Jordan's ain't gonna cut it here, right? We need the thing that's set aside. I had a suit that's set apart for the specific purpose of looking nice at specific events. That's the idea going on here. It's something set aside for a specific purpose, to accomplish something special, right? That's the purpose of the church. The point of that is to help you see that's how Jesus sees his people. That's how Jesus sees his church, a people, a family, set aside, sanctified, uh, that, that's what that means, made holy for a specific purpose, for the sake of the story we just got through talking about, but for the sake of advancing that story, of participating in that story, to help, help keep moving the story of redemption and rescue forward, this story of love and rescue. Let me ask you a question. 
and I want you to really, really with me consider this. Write this down, make a mental note of it, and then think about the answer to this later in a very real way. Is this how you see yourself? I want you to think about that. Is this how you see yourself? Do you see you as being set aside by God? Not pushed aside, set aside, and then looked at and set up. I've set you aside for a specific purpose. I've set you aside and empowered you for a specific purpose to advance a specific story. You're the one that's going to do it. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see, to add another layer, is that how you see this church? Is that how you see refuge? When we have this little, like, what do we used to call it? We jokingly used to call it a, uh, a I think we jokingly used to call it a crook because it looked like a rook in a castle, and a crown in a, in a castle. And so we found in a rook, so we call it a crook. When we see that... <laughs> When we see a crassle, that's what it was. Yeah, my man was like, he was thinking about it too. Sean was like, what do we used to call that? When you see the little crassle deal, right? You see the little logo. And I say, don't say logo pejoratively or use the word little pejoratively, but, but the logo that represents the idea of who we are as a community, right? When you, you see the idea of, of our mission statement, that we exist to glorify God by making disciples that shape our communities with the love of Jesus. Is that something you believe God has set us apart for? And something he's brought you to this family in order to help us accomplish that goal. Right? Is that how you see us? Because hear me again, friend, that's what God sees. That's what God sees when he looks at you. He sees a person set apart in order to accomplish a beautiful purpose. And then he plugs you into a community of people that he set apart in order to also help accomplish that person. That's what he sees in you. That's what he sees in me. That's what he sees in refuge. And check this out, it doesn't stop there. Because if you continue through verse two, he says everywhere, basically across the world who've believed and called on Jesus. That is how Jesus sees every single Christian in every single church from here to across the world. That's how he sees us. That's how he sees his people. Think about that. It's so easy to buy into the cultural statements about what the church has done wrong and the church has done things wrong. Hear me. The church continues at times to do things wrong, but it's also a beautiful reality that that broken group of people that makes mistakes and sometimes stumbles and sometimes messes up and sometimes hurts others is actually set aside and is given grace by God in order to continue the story of declaring that, man, I may mess up. But there's one who's made me whole, who desires to make you whole, and is advancing the story of making all things new and all things whole. That we've been set aside for that purpose, despite our faults, despite our, our weaknesses, right? Across the world, there is a beautiful group of people set aside in order to declare that message. What beautiful news. Praise God. I'm not saying you got to clap your hands, but man, internally praise him in some way. Or clap your hands. <laughs> but, but in all serious, what good news? That's us. That's us, that, that set-aside group that God has said, I've given them grace. I've given them mercy. They're not perfect, but they're twigs snatched out of a fire so they can go out and declare the good news that there's a rescuer that snatches twigs out of fires. And they point to me and the world that's broken and hurting, 
man, they don't necessarily always have to see me in every single person. But together, together, these people, they make an image of me. They make a picture of me as they build hospitals in this area and build houses in this area and help out a neighbor in their neighborhood. And yeah, they mess up after that, but then they come back and they receive more grace. And that grace is the thing that they're pointing others toward because that grace is the thing that makes the world whole, not them. That grace is what instructs people to deny ungodlessness and worldly passions and live in hope and in holiness. That grace is what does it. And they keep returning back to that fountain. And when the people around them who are hurting and broken or in desperate need, they point, the, they point them not to themselves and not to the church, but point them to the head of the church, to that fountain of grace. What good news? I'm rambling on this, but man, it's, it is such good news, friends. It's a powerful reality that, that you've been set aside. Why? To make the world perfect? No, he does that. But to participate in this story and point to him and say, I'm doing this because I'm just following what he does. I extend grace because that's what he does. I love you because that's what he does. I stumble and that's not what he does. But I return to him and receive grace because that's what he does. And I come back out and keep going because that's what he does. And so I'm just trying to show you not what the world could be. I'm trying to show you who Jesus is and what he's going to do in the world. What good news, man. All right, y'all. So how do we accomplish this though, right? How do we, how do we continue to work with Jesus? How do we walk alongside of him? Well, that's where the gifts come in because we have the story. We have the people, uh, but now how do the people go about blessing the world? How do the people go about showing the world Jesus? Well, through gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 5. It says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. Grace was given to the Corinthian church, enriching them in wisdom and in speech. That's what Paul sees. When he looks at them, he says, man, I'm just praise God. I praise God for the grace that he's given you, that he saved you, that he made you uh, a new, that he's given you new desires. Yes, you fight the flesh, but he has done a work in you. And in that work, he has blessed you with the gifts of knowledge and speech, man. Y'all are killer at this. Quick side note. I want to make mention of this because I think this is important. There's a lot going wrong in Corinth. There is a lot going wrong in Corinth. Stuff that in our current day, we'd be like as, as, as liberal and everybody kind of being like, yeah, do what do you, you know what I'm saying? Like as even us in our current day would be like, that's kind of messed up, bro. Like, like, it's a lot going on. But I want to make note that Paul still sees, calls out, and calls up the gifts present in these people. I think that's a powerful thing to make note of. Friends, get you a friend that calls out the gifts in you, even when you're messing up. Get you somebody in your life that calls out the gifts in you, even when you're messing up. Be a friend. Don't just find a friend. Be a friend that calls out the gifts and calls up the gifts in others. When you see someone in this church, when you see someone in your life that, that you know and can see like, yo, they're good at something, call that gift out and then call it up. What do I mean by that? I mean, call it out. Let them know that you see it and that it's present, but then call it up and encourage them to use it, right? Encourage them to use it. Don't just be like, oh man, I think you're kind of good at that, but, but encourage them. You should keep doing that, right? Like, like try to do that thing more. If someone's, you know, nice at encouraging people. You're like, man, you just so naturally, you're like, hey, nice shoes. It's like, man, you're the most encouraging person. Do that more. That blesses people. I hope you do that more. But if you see someone that does have a unique gift in correcting others 
And hear me, that is a gift that is so necessary in the body because it's like a scary thing to do. Right? Encourage people and say, man, thank you for that. The way you corrected someone there was a gift. Keep doing that. I hope you do it in love. And if it doesn't mean that they're perfect. It means that you're seeing gifts, calling them out, making them known, and then calling them to use those gifts. Right? The Corinthians were gifted. And yeah, man, they were tripping in a lot of ways. But Paul still saw that, man, they're blessed. They're gifted in speech and in knowledge. So many people in that church were, were gifted to understand things about God and to teach things about God. They, they, they taught people. They instructed people. Generally, I, I, I've read in a few different commentaries that, that the people in Corinth were probably decently learned people, right? They, they, they probably were decently learned people. And in a community like the church that valued education, remember, this is a group that early on were known to be, be like promoters of education, Literally, the early church taught people to read so that they could read the Bible because a lot of people couldn't read in that day. And so they would line people and be like, yo, we're going to teach you the alphabet. We're going to get you reading because you need to read God's word. A little, little note on how important God's word is, even to the early church. Even Sunday schools, right? What is the history of the word Sunday school or the idea of Sunday school? Is what? Is it a Bible study before church? No, it was in rural communities where there weren't schools present. And so before church, they would come to the church house to go to Sunday school where they would learn to read and write. The church has historically been pretty pro-educating people, especially so that they could then use those gifts, use that education in order uh, to pursue God. And so they were gifted people. And these, the gifts that they'd been given, they were using them. They were actively using them for the sake of the church. In fact, they were using them so much and using them so prolifically and pretty much always on it that, that some of what they were gifted in began to produce some negative things because they probably were like obsessed with trying to figure, they're like, dude, you know what? That's the gift of so-and-so and you should do that all the time. And all of a sudden, like everyone was like speaking in tongues and doing crazy stuff and like running around and like all kinds of wild stuff. And so Paul had to correct some of that. But the point is, is that within this body, the gifts that they had been blessed with were being used. They were putting them into practice. Paul didn't just call them out, even in the midst of, of their, their other mess ups. He called them to use them. God is calling them to use them. And they're putting those gifts into practice within the body of the church. The Corinthian church understood that there was a story and that they were amongst the people that that story uh, what was, was, was meant to work through, was meant to, to be told through. And so they were using their gifts in order to bless that body, in order to advance that story, right? That's the gifts that we've been given. And here's the thing, you, you have other gifts. You have gifts that the Corinthian church doesn't have and that I don't have, right? I have a, I have a voice that can go all day. That's a part of who I am. Not everything I say is the best, <laughs> but I can talk all day, all right? So, I generally can stand up here and talk. I've been talking for already quite a bit of time. And my voice can keep doing that. Right? And, and in all seriousness, I, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I, I love the fact that we have this book that God has given us, his very words that he's given us to transform us, not to inform us, but to transform us, that we get to come here today and to open that book and to read those words and, and to say, Lord, help me to transform my mind by your spirit to, to start to see the bigger story at play and to, to see how you're working through and in the people that, that I'm with in, in my church and in my, my communities and, and in me and how you're advancing that story through these people. And, and now, Father, help me understand who I am and the gifts that I've been given so that I can use those gifts in order to bless other people. Because 
because the others that are around me may be in desperate need and you want to do something in their lives and you want to, to show them yourself in some way and you've decided to give me a gift in order to accomplish that. Right, like, like that's the gifting that God desires us to, to have, to understand and to walk in. Asking you again, so that you can work through this idea, what are your gifts? What are your gifts? What are the gifts that God has given you? If Paul was writing you a letter and he was your boy and he was like, man, I thank God uh, every time I think about Josh, uh, not me, not Josh, um, because of the grace that's been given to Josh and how he's been empowered to really, I mean, if I'm, I'm, I'm not joking, to be crafty is all get out. If you follow Josh Trunick on Instagram or any social media, my man has posted his HGTV level projects this week on his stories, and they've been incredible. Uh, yeah, see, there you go. Um, testify, okay? But at the same time, a beautiful thing was that I, I text Josh and said, hey, half of my couch didn't get here, and uh, Wayfair, who that, that was a whole experience using Wayfair, but... They pretty much canceled my order. I'm like, we don't have any more of that part of your couch. So we're going to refund you the whole thing and you keep the half of the couch that we sent you. Uh, yeah, super crazy. Uh, so I called Josh and I said, or I text Josh, I didn't call him. But I text him, I said, hey man, here's the situation. Um, man, you're good at this. What should I do? And Josh gave me some super neat ideas. He was like, man, you could put like a baby bed in there. Not as like to be a baby bed, but that pretty much could duplicate like the springs, right? In like a sofa. You could just sit in it. He was like, you could use two by fours to do this. And all of a sudden, I was so frustrated about what had happened there. Let me be honest, I was angry. I asked my wife, I was over there like, man, I can't stand these people. You know, I was going crazy in my living room. I was frustrated. I was like, I'm going to leave them a review on da 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 and I'm going to call and just be like, be like I'm going to stay on the phone until somebody gives me answers. And like, I was just going wild because I was just frustrated. And then I got that message from Josh and I started looking at that half put together piece of furniture. And in the moment, my mind started being like, well, maybe we could do this. And maybe we could do this. And then maybe we could do this. Your gifts don't have to be some type of profound thing. And Josh has other gifts like that. I'm in small group with him. The dude drops firebombs all the time. We're just like, oh, praise God. But even that gift, his HGTV gift blessed me and changed the disposition of my heart as I was frustrated and angry. Because here's the thing. My heart in that moment was frustrated and angry to the point of sin. I was angry to the point of sin. And the gift from my brother, as small as it was, brought my heart and said, nah, man, it's okay. Here's the other things we can do. It doesn't have to be crazy big, but what are your gifts? And how are you using them to advance this story? How are you using them in a moment like, like, like where I was at, where my heart was ready? If I'd have had a Wayfair employee in front of me, Lord, help that person in that moment. But, but the Lord, right, but God decided, no, nah, man, you're a part of a greater story than that Wayfair story. You're part of a story of redemption and rescue and love. That's the story you live in. So look, put some two by fours in it. Throw, throw, uh, uh, 
a kid bed in it, throw some benches in it, whatever you need to do. But there are options here. And focus back on the grandest story. What a gift. Again, what gifts do you have? And how are you using them to advance the story? How are you using them to serve God's people? That's the question I would love for you to consider. And right now, let me be honest. You may be like, I don't know. I don't know my gifts. Um, That's okay. Paul knew these people. He'd visited them prior to this letter. Let me, let me be on level with you. If you don't know your gifts, be around people so they can call your gifts out. That's important. If right now you're like, I don't know what I'm good at, you need to be around some people that are going to say, this is what you're good at. I didn't mean to get that close to my mouth. Right? But, but that's what you need to be around. People that are going to call out, again, people that are going to call those gifts out and say, I praise God for the gift, the grace that you've received and how that grace has empowered you in this way. Bless people with that. Right? Be around. And then from there, be around people that are going to let you practice that gift. Oh, I'm going to let Josh practice his gift because <laughs> that couch is halfway done in my garage. I'm going to need that. I'm going to need his gifts. Just letting you know now. Um, right? But, but be around someone's going to call your gifts out, call your gifts up, and then allow you to practice them. Maybe you do feel like you have a gift to correct people. Guess what? We're a community of people that longs to follow Jesus faithfully. You're going to have some chances to correct some people. That sounds like a harsh gift. It's not. It's a blessing to have someone say, hey, man, I know, I know that you were trying to do this right now. But you know what? What you ended up doing, I think, was hurtful to you, hurtful to others. I really encourage you to reconsider how you did that. Right? That's a moment that blesses someone else and that we desperately need. The church body as a whole desperately needs. Be around people that are going to let you practice that. My prayer is that if we understand and start to work through these ideas, right, these ideas of these basics, the story that we're plugged into, the fact that there is this God who is working in the world, and that's the story we're a part of. And he's saved us and called us and, and really set us apart into a, a group and a family that he said, I've set these people apart right here in order to advance my purposes in the world. And then from there to say, okay, I'm a part of this group. What are the gifts that I have that can bless this group of people and now allowing us to bless the rest of the world so that we can advance that that grander story, right? If we can begin to piece this together, the way we live our lives no longer becomes twiddling our thumbs. It becomes active. It's no longer passively waiting for God to come and to make things right. It's understanding that he's empowered us with gifts in order to advance his story and he's placed us into a community of people where we get to share those gifts that complement each other in order to advance that story there's an active waiting happening there where we're thinking what can i do what has god given me how can i get better where am i going where are we going we told you this a few weeks ago right like the idea of our church body isn't that one person has the, the direction from God. Josh isn't leading the church. Jesus is leading the church, and we're following Jesus. And so if he shows you, man, I think we need to do this as a church, holler at your boy. That would get me lit. I'd get super excited about that. Because, again, no longer is it a passive waiting, but an active, where are we going? How are we accomplishing the story that we're a part of? How are we making disciples? How are we shaping communities? Are we doing it with the love of Jesus? How are we doing this? Let's keep going. There's something powerful in that. 
That's the body that Jesus died for. That's the one that he wants to mold. That's the one that he's sending out into the world. Advent truly is about us understanding that that's what we're called to as we wait for him to return in order to set right all the things that we're working on. That we have this assurance, man, I'm going to put my hand to the plow and I'm going to labor and I'm going to try. And even when it seems like things don't go the way I planned, there's a promise of a second coming that's going to fulfill the thing that I put my hand to. Even if I can't quite get it right now. Even if it's not fully successful right now. What good news. And so, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and pray uh, and prepare our hearts to uh, partake in communion and then to respond to uh, these truths in, in worship and in praise. Father, thank you so much for the gift of who you are. Thank you, Father, that we do not live in, in a, in a sub-story, right, where we're just pursuing the things that we think will give us pleasure only to find that they don't, only to keep running, only to keep seeking. But we're part of a bigger story where the creator of everything has decided in his love to rescue us. And now in his rescue plan has called us and has said, no, I'm going to give you gifts as my people in order to advance this story, in order to advance this mission. Father, soften our hearts to that truth. If we don't see uh, your story right now, Father, soften our hearts and let us say, Father, I want to be a part of, of that story. I want to live in a way that reflects that I'm thinking about that story. You are already a part of that story. We, we get that. We, that's what you would want us to know, that we're a part of that story already. But spur us to think through how can I live in a way that reflects that story and advances that story. And let us bless the body that you've given us and the community that you've given us through the gifts that you've given us to your glory and for your honor as we hate, as we wait in great anticipation of your second coming, uh, what makes all things right. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 